Welcome to MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Labs Alliances podcast series. My name is Steve Lewis. I am the Assistant Director of Global Strategic Alliances for CSAIL at MIT. In this podcast series, I will interview researchers at CSAIL to discover what they're working on and how it will impact society. Munjia Yen is an assistant professor in MIT's Electrical Engineering and Computer Science Department. Her research interests lie in areas of computer architecture and security with a focus on side-channel attacks and defenses. Her group works on exploiting new microarchitectural vulnerabilities and designing comprehensive and efficient defense mechanisms. She is the recipient of multiple awards, including the NSF Career Award, Intel's Rising Star Faculty Award, and multiple micro top picks in computer architecture. Before joining MIT, she earned her PhD in computer science from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Mungia, thanks for your time today. Tell me about some of the biggest problems right now in hardware security. I think the biggest thing is that used to be the case that people think hardware security, you must have an attacker get close or have a possession, have the possession of your device, and they try to use some very fancy techniques to probe your device and get some secret out of it. Well, the biggest chance today is that now hardware attacks can be conducted via software exploitations. The attacker may only need to uh, send you a malicious website link or it launch attack by running some looks benign applications on your device. It can exploit hardware vulnerabilities in a very similar way as exploiting software vulnerabilities, which make hardware security a much more serious problem because it is much more accessible to the attackers nowadays than before. So the biggest security vulnerability we have been knowing about chip like processor vulnerability is Spectre meltdown, which was dis- discovered in 2018. And why it is a big problem? Uh, because it kind of violates the interfaces between the hardware and the software. People used to think the interfaces between the software and the hardware is the instruction uh, set architecture, like the assembly instructions you have seen, you, you write code with that. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, people realize it's not. You kind of need to expose more vulnerabilities at the microarchitecture level to the software people. Uh, I would say that is the biggest problem. I know it's a bit abstract, but a lot of security vulnerabilities nowadays pose a serious security threat because they violate the boundary between software and hardware. I see. You know, I think people would generally think that a hardware or a chip is is very much locked down, right? They're sort mm-hmm. of, you know, burnt into the firmware and it's not readily accessible. And of course, you know, Spectre uh, proved that all wrong. But let's talk about a side channel attack. Can you tell our audience what a side channel attack is? Yeah, so a relatively uh, formal definition of side channel is really it is a form of information leakage via some unintended communication medias. So let me give a very simple example. We have this network connects and you need to connect to network, outside network using some routers. Let's say you share this router with your roommate or your family members, a direct information leakage as opposed to side channel, a direct information leakage is that, oh, you may have some malicious application, you know, monitor the packages going through the network and probe inside the package to figure out what is secret happening. Uh, While a side channel is doing something very different, that is, if you share the router with your roommate, 
you will see how fast your network speed is because if your roommate is using a lot of network bandwidth, like streaming videos, etc., you will see your bandwidth is limited, reduced, so your network latency will be increased. While on the other hand, if your roommate is not using a network or is just using some very lightweight web browser surfing, etc., then you have all the network bandwidth belonging to you, so you will see your network speed is very fast. By just looking how much bandwidth you have and how slow or fast your network speed is, you can figure out what your roommate is doing. So that is an example of side channel in the sense that you kind of use this bandwidth as an unintended communication media to leak some information. Uh, well, of course, the example I give is a very coarse-grained information leakage, but people see that you can bring it with some fine-tuned stuff and you can do some very fine-grained secret leakage. So does this mean that a hacker via side channel keeps a communication channel open with the hardware so that they can then steal information? Or is yes. it more just to degrade the system performance of that piece of hardware? So both uh, while you are, so the example I give is more like an active uh, attacker where the attacker need to probe the system, uh, but this probe is very non-intrusive because it's just using the network in a very normal way. I'm sending in the normal request to some YouTube website, et cetera. So it's very difficult to be distinguished from a normal user. In this active attacker case, you do need to, you know, attacker need to proactively access the resource, the communication channel. Well, there does exist some passive attack strategy. For example, some power side channel attacks, EM, electronic magnetic side channels. For these attacks, attacker will need to just uh, passively monitor the power utilization of the device, et cetera. But of course, this requires you get closer to the device and try to, you know, uh, having some trip equipment to receive the signal and some acoustic side channels where you just try to distinguish some secrets based on the sound generated by your hardware devices. In that sense, it's quite passive, but usually uh, not 100%. Many passive attackers require the attacker getting closer to the hardware device. While a lot of active attackers, they just require you to run a software application on the victim platform. Could you tell us a little bit about what a Pac-Man attack is? Yeah, so Pac-Man attack is, the unique thing is that it is a software hardware code attack. Uh, basically, it takes this side channel attack idea and use it to exploit some software vulnerabilities. And you know that software vulnerabilities are all, are all over the system and it's very difficult to eliminate all of them. So there's already existing a lot of defense mechanisms. And one of the very important and useful mechanism is called ARM pointer authentication, which was introduced by ARM uh, and Qualcomm in around 2017. The idea is really that you, know, you have very important data structures in your program. And uh, if you have a software vulnerability, these data structures may be tampered, corrupted by attackers, right? And PAC pointer authentication says, Let's add some metadata to these data structures. So I will, I will compute a hash or some message authentication code of your important data structure. And I will verify the integrity of the data structure to see whether it has been tampered or not. 
So they, they use this to protect pointers, which can block controllable hijacking attacks, etc. Quite effective attack, uh, quite effective defense mechanism. And the Pac-Man attack is showing that by exploiting some hardware vulnerabilities, you can actually bypass this very strong security primitive enforced at software level. So the idea is really that if an attacker tampers some important data structure and it also tampered the uh, message authentication code, the program will crash. However, the idea here is that you could, attacker could guess the message authentication code and speculatively check whether this guest authentication code is correct or not. And the biggest thing here is that by doing all these things under some speculation window, uh, like what Spec Meltdown did, all these things will not crush your program. You can brute forcefully trying all these uh, guest values under speculation until you find the correct one. And then you feed the correct one into the program to bypass a security check. So it's, it, I think the unique thing is really that we combine software attacks and hardware attacks, which used to be considered in isolation before, you know, software researchers, hardware researchers, they look at problems separate. Now, the, the security vulnerabilities kind of bridge each other. Now we really require some more advanced and more broad defense mechanism consider both sides. So how can machine learning assist in stopping these types of attacks? Great. So machine learning, from my perspective, you know, it's a very useful technique. Unfortunately, I think from what I have seen in the community, uh, the research community, there's more uses of machine learning to assist attacks than stop attacks. Mm -hmm. um, it's, an sad, it's a sad fact, but I think it's really that because it's very handy machine learning techniques, they are very good at finding correlations between two signals. So that's why I've seen a lot of work trying to incorporate use machine learning to do post-signal processing of the side channel traces to find oh, which trace correspond to which secret. And also people try to use machine learning to generate attack code because many times we need to tune our attack towards a specific machine, some microarchitecture structures, et cetera. And the machine learning is very good at doing that. So that is why the fact that uh, there's more work on using machine learning to design more advanced attacks and which is also a concerning trend. On the right side, there also exists some work using machine learning to mitigate, to block these attacks. But I would say the work on the defense side is very limited uh, because for attack, you know, you find one attack, bypass the system, you declare success. Well, for defense, it's very difficult to deal with like false positives, false negatives. My sense is really that we need more work on this direction. There's some progress, but the progress is not, not satisfying enough. And we should definitely push more on the defense side using machine learning. I see. And how easy is it to patch these vulnerabilities and how responsive are the chip manufacturers uh, once they're exposed? It's a very good question. I would say that compared to the software community, the hardware community is uh, much lagging behind in dealing with this software, uh, you know, dealing with these uh, vulnerabilities, um, bugs, etc. But since 2018, um, the whole community, the industry has been evolving a lot. So there's a lot of open bounty programs. And uh, whenever you have some vulnerabilities, you report to the hardware vendors. 
and uh, they will try to have detailed discussion with you and uh, they will quickly try to release either software patches because a lot of these hardware vulnerabilities which require you run some specific code pattern uh, on the machine, they can be patched uh, using some software techniques, uh, which comes with some high performance overhead, but that is the immediate mechanism you can, you know, patch you can take. And the second is that a lot of companies, they can modify your hardware by releasing new code, soft, uh, micro code patches. So nowadays hardware is so complex. So it is not everything is baked into the circuit, uh, silicon. There's some flexibility there, such as uh, micro code. You can think about that it's even lower level of code uh, below the firmware. So you can patch, change some behaviors of the hardware by releasing some micro code patches. Uh, finally, uh, we will need to wait for new hardware to be released. I think uh, the community has been evolving so much. So this change of process is being improved so much over the last few years. So we do have some good promise on that. My own experience with uh, Pac-Man Tech, because Pac-Man Tech comes from our group, we talked to Apple and also ARM about this vulnerability. Apple kind of re reacted in the sense that because it exploited the software vulnerability. So if you patch your software to mitigate as much, as many software vulnerabilities as, as possible, then you can also mitigate Pac-Man Tech. And ARM, I, I really like ARM's response Arm wrote a very in-depth, detailed, thorough response about how Pac-Man works and how they can react to these attacks. They have some software mitigations and some very clever, very clever uh, software hardware co-design mitigations posted on their blog post. Uh, specifically, they have some versions of the point application, which is implemented slightly different than the version we exploited, and they can reposition that version to mitigate Pac-Man attack, which is a very clever idea. So, so I would say that to conclude, uh, just about the responses from industry, it's not an end world if you have a hardware vulnerability nowadays. You still have software patches and the microcode patches can go, and you can reposition some variations of hardware implementation for better defenses. And are these vulnerabilities sort of more prevalent in, say, like an ARM architecture or Intel architecture or RISC architecture, or are they sort of just any chip platform can be exploited? Let's put it in this way. It really depends on what types of attacks you are talking about. So if you are talking about Spectre, Maldon, this very generic form of speculative execution vulnerabilities, uh, because it is such a classic and uh, you know prominent features in almost every microarchitecture so all the processors will be vulnerable unless your processor are very old and very low performance so you know there's some very uh, low performance uh, in order course to use it in microprocessors then that will not be vulnerable but all the others will be vulnerable as long as you have these spectral execution features. But there does exist some marginal, small differences between different processors. For example, Intel processors, they are, you know, the, their engineers are most prominent. And also Apple, the reason the processors, they are very powerful, uh, like monsters. Uh, the more powerful they are, very likely, the more optimizations they have been integrated into the chips. That's why you get all the benefit, performance mm -hmm. benefit, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also very likely that these optimizations may introduce new vulnerabilities which were not discovered before. 
So that is unknown. But the comment I'd like to make is that it is a very great research topic for us because we really enjoy uh, digging deep into processors to find all these vulnerabilities. But I would say that many of these vulnerabilities that are deeper or more complex than spectrum meltdown, they are, they are actually also very difficult to be carried out by, by an attacker in a real world or practical setup. So as researchers, we really want to build you know, some clean slate, some uh, security uh, mechanism with perfect security properties. And in that sense, we need to consider all the tricky attack vulnerabilities. Uh, but for practical deployment, I would say maybe business people should really focus on the very basic spectrum meltdown uh, vulnerabilities. And uh, the other differences in these more deeper vulnerabilities, they are more like a marginal difference, honestly. That is the difference view from research versus, I think, uh, industry. So some of the steps businesses can take to protect themselves from security risks, is this all about educating the users about not clicking on <laughs> emails with, with links and things like that? Or what would you say? Some generic uh, tips I would like to give is to um, upgrade your system as early as possible because the companies frequently release some patches for both software vulnerabilities and hardware vulnerabilities. Uh, another interesting phenomena uh, I have observed recently is maybe people should take more conservative measurements because recently, like I think it just happened the last week, Google Zero Project, they find a new vulnerability because, uh, because of such an interesting scenario. Once Spectre Meltdown came, it is such a serious problem. So the first reaction people have is to patch the software because that is the only thing we can do. And people have this KPTI, which is separate your kernel and the user space uh, so that uh, user space cannot directly access kernel, even speculatively, which is a very strong security priority, very effective, but introduce very high performance overhead. Now, after a few years, now Intel introduces, you know, uh, and also all other companies introduce hardware-based meltdown fixes. So with these fixes, you can mitigate meltdown with much lower performance overhead. Then the Linux community said, oh, so now we have the hardware fix, so we should like disable uh, this KPTI feature, the software fixes, which introduce you know, unnecessary performance overhead. And then guess what? In the last week, uh, the Google Zero Project blog post posts something that if you disable the KPTI feature, the original attack may still go through with some variations. So I would say that um, nowadays we are shifting back and forth between software fixes and hardware fixes towards the same uh, attack. And uh, because there are different companies, different organizations, uh, the coordination may not be at that fine granularity. So these features may not fix the problem at the same level. And uh, if you just uh, very aggressively disable these features, uh, you get some performance benefit, but maybe uh, it will leave some doors, uh, some narrow gap for uh, security breaches. I guess uh, this is something the community, hardware software community need to be coordinated better to see whether their patches really overlap or whether they are not completely overlapped so that people can be better advised. But for now, I guess we should be more conservative just according to this lesson I've seen last week. Does your group get sort of advanced chips design so that you can test or do you have to wait till it's commercially released in order to find these vulnerabilities? 
usually we need to wait for it is commercially released then find this vulnerability that is the current uh, state and what do you see as sort of the next great security problem facing industry i think uh, what i've described so far about you know the interface between hardware and the software how to coordinate them will be a long lasting problem for a very long time so this could include, you know, this factor, meltdown, side channel, microarchitecture attacks. It also include row hammer attacks, uh, physical side channel attacks, and even a reliability issues nowadays people facing about um, fault injection attacks. All this will eventually inter interact both software and hardware because our both the software and hardware becomes more and more complex as the days goes by. So. Uh, this interface issue, how to expose a better contract between the hardware software uh, is the very challenging problem for both researchers and the industry. And where can people go to find out more about your research? My own personal website, uh, you can easily find it on uh, MIT. That will be the main source uh, place to find my research. In addition to that, I would also uh, be very excited to, uh, to announce, you know, there's there's a hardware security course at MIT, and a lot of senior undergraduate students and master students take these courses. We, uh, we have a lot of useful materials. It covers the broad topic about hardware security and some selected topics, uh, advanced topics. And we also have some detailed uh, hands-on lab assignments. Uh, actually, a lot of institutions are actually using our materials, uh, including some government uh, agencies and some other universities. So uh, if people are interested, they could also visit uh, that website, you know, that course website, which I would be very happy to provide the link. Great. Well, Manjia, thank you very much for your time. It's a fascinating topic. And obviously, your research is, is vital to improve security for our computing platforms. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you're interested in learning more about the CSAIL Alliance program and the latest research at CSAIL, please visit our website at cap.csail.mit.edu and listen to our podcast series on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in next month for a brand new edition of the CSAIL Alliance's podcast and stay ahead of the curve.